Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader who has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting for more than a decade. She's a tech enthusiast, entrepreneur, songwriter, and a customer success badass. We're talking to her today because she's disrupting a generational educational bias that the customer is always right. It's eroding our mental and physical well-being. She believes in customer success for customer success. So let's talk about this. Coming to us live from New York, please welcome our disruptor, customer success manager at Airtable, Emily Gabriel. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much, AJ. Thanks for having me. And what a very incredible intro. I, I hope I can live up to, up to that, up to that intro there. <laughs> of course, of course. Let's get going on this. Now, before we dive into this whole the customer is always right thing, tell our audience, what is your personal ingredient, main ingredient for disruptive innovation? That's such a good question. My main ingredient would probably be well, it's a mixture of curiosity and listening. And I think those two go hand in hand. Yeah. So full stop, curiosity and the ability to listen are probably the one-two punch in terms of ingredients and to afford yourself to disrupt anything really. Why do you think that is? Like, why is that for you? You're meeting me with my own ingredients, KJ. Yeah. So I recognize that. Uh, I am. I didn't realize that, but I am. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of how curiosity and the ability to listen are, they enable you to kind of challenge what is being put in front of you. And when I say challenge, I, I think really leaning as why are why is this person behaving as they are? And and I think when you take pause and you lead and lean into that curiosity, that's where you can understand more of why something's working as it is or why someone's behaving as they are and then kind of chart your next steps based on questioning. Yeah, it's really like a dual person centric approach from what I'm listening to you because sometimes just in relationships, people go in with a particular mindset or a particular viewpoint and then they don't always realize that they're dealing with another person who also has another viewpoint and another mindset. And that can dramatically change the conversation or the outcome, right? Yeah, and I think to to further that notion, KJ, we are all nuanced, right? Like if you think that you're nuanced as a human and I think I'm nuanced as a human, but then we meet each other thinking that our vantage point or our perspective is the only one that's nuanced, like it kind of doesn't, it doesn't add up. So I think recognizing that to your point, you are communicating with another human and no one necessarily goes into a conversation or engages from the vantage point thinking that they're wrong or their perspective is wrong, right? Everyone has their own unique perspective. Trying to understand more of, of where that person's coming from, I think is very 
helpful in solutioning. And maybe the, the, the outcome is agreeing to disagree, but I don't think anyone's ever going to walk away from a conversation where someone tried to understand their viewpoint and be like, wow, that person really stinks because they tried to understand me. Or like, oh, they tried to understand. We could agree to disagree. And I think that's progress in and of itself. I agree. That's a really good point. So let's talk about the status quo of the customer is always right. Oh, goodness. And I know, right? <laughs> it is an educational bias. It's gone, It's generational. Mm. It's been around for I don't know how long. It's not working. It's not working anymore. I don't know if it ever worked. Maybe it did. But what is the status quo with that today, especially in customer success? Yeah, it's a really multifaceted assessment to say like, hey, the customer's always right. Simple statement. But what does that actually mean? And this kind of roots back to leaning in with curiosity because it's easy to judge. It takes less energy to judge than it does to understand. And when you are going in with the notion of of having the guardrail or or the full stop, rather, the customer is always right, no matter what, by any means necessary, you are potentially doing a disservice to both yourself as someone that is servicing a customer or client and to that customer or client themselves, because sometimes it's helpful to slow down, to speed up, right? And what does that mean? Well, a customer can come to you with these fast and hard deadlines, and that may not align with what you're capable of producing or or providing in that short turnaround time. And if you go outside of your advised timeline and the customer is pushing you to do so, then maybe you end up with a Band-Aid fix as as opposed to a fully functioning and appropriate solution to offer to, to a customer. So is a customer always right? I don't think it's a matter of right and wrong. I think it's a matter of what is in both parties' best interests. And sometimes that really is slowing down to speed up and a customer may feel, oh, I'm being told I'm wrong. You're not being told you're wrong necessarily. You're also not being told you're right. We're just having a conversation on the best path forward to to align and meet on the next best steps to achieve a goal. Right. And Emily, do you find today that customers are less tolerant? When you're dealing with customer success, a lot of times it can be reactive, not proactive. A lot of times it's mitigating or handling issues that bubble up, right? Mm -hmm. Do you find people are less tolerant today? Less tolerant. Tell me more. Maybe if you could describe to me a scenario. More demanding, expecting things that maybe technology-wise because they are used to certain things going very fast, thinking other things are, you know, to be fast, not understanding processes, not understanding certain things, being irritated at that. Yeah. In terms of less tolerant, I guess we would need to kind of pick out a benchmark or or like a, a benchmark moment to say like, hey, this, here's our benchmark. Now, 
a customer is less tolerant or now a customer is more tolerant. Yeah. It's hard to say as like a, as a blanket statement. Yeah, However, no. What I will say is I think that like mildly pivoting, I think that this, the surgeons of these, of these buzz words in business now, first it was the great resignation. Now it's quiet quitting. I think is I saw. Quiet funny, quitting. Yes. I, yeah. yeah. That was a new bet for it. <laughs> I saw, I saw a, a funny LinkedIn post recently that was like, it's only quiet quitting if it's in the champagne region of France. Otherwise it's sparkling boundaries, which which I thought to be funny, but we digress. So the reason I bring this up is because I think the pandemic and this flexible working conditions versus working from home, then it's part-time, you know, there's a lot of different circumstances in which companies are affording their employees to work in, in their physical space. And with that comes the challenge, right? For whether it's customer success or otherwise of having these work-life balances, right? What is the boundary? Like, you know, you're you're sitting during the peak pandemic when when many of us were quarantining and primarily working from home, if you're working in likely in customer success, you are accessible all the time because you're not really going anywhere, doing anything, and you have access to your phone, your computer, all your devices. So making sure that you're articulating what are appropriate work boundaries is a challenge, right? Because then anchoring back to that, the customer is always right. Well, you want to be of service to your customer, but if you're burning a candle at both ends, it's going to burn out quicker or more quickly than if you're burning it at one end mindfully, as a cliche as that may sound. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's true. And I know it's hard to do a blanket statement on something or some generality and that, and and that makes a lot of sense. You know, one thing I was thinking of, like, for instance, in fintech and e-commerce and the payments industry and so forth, we've noticed a lot in customer success where, oh, and the supply chain issues, right, where people are now shopping a lot more on e-commerce, supply chain issues, not getting things fast enough, initiating chargebacks at the fly at the fly of the, you know, at the hand, right? Not watching their emails or their notifications that there's been a delay, banks having to handle these chargebacks now becoming a cost center rather than a profit center, merchants doing that, trying to handle customer success unsuccessfully, right? We find just in talking to certain clients in this particular industry and several of these industries that there has seemed to be this level of impatience that has bubbled up since COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And you're talking about another end of the of the token or a candle, or as you say, that customer success needs to have this work-life balance, right? How do you do that as a yeah. customer success manager today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a great question. And I think like anything else, your schedule and candidly, your well-being can be fluid, right? Some days you'll you'll feel great and your schedule will feel manageable and you'll be like, oh, I had an excellent conversation with a customer. And then other days you may not feel as great and maybe the conversations with customers are more uncomfortable than they are comfortable. And I think realizing that that is okay and having like a a resounding thought that every day you truly are doing the best you can with the time and the resources, time being a resource, but the time and the resources that you have. 
And it's tricky, right? I mean, I'm saying that from a vantage point where I'm not in the throes of back-to-back-to-back customer calls, but just kind of trying to keep that, maintain that perspective is vital. I think also another vital component of customer success managers and and, and just overall well-being, employee well-being, is having it start with your employer. And I, I know that that may seem like a like a dumb moment. Like, of course, Emily, you know, there are different cultures dependent on, on industry, dependent on company, et cetera. And I think that that is, there is extreme validity to that. What I feel fortunate personally to have received or, or to continuously receive is a culture, a company culture that takes care of their employees or at the very, like takes care of their employees full stop in consistently addressing well-being and really opening the dialogue for feedback. I think that that's something, feedback is a gift. We we actually have like an, an internal saying at our table where like, the gift of feedback and and really recognizing it as such if and what does that mean right the gift of feedback well if someone is taking the time to provide feedback to you then that truly is a gift it, it is an opportunity to hear someone else's perspective right be curious enough to ask for the feedback hear their perspective listen and then do with it what you will so i think that that is another important component of having a work life balance your own individual well-being that trickles down from from the top in a company sense and a company culture sense and it's not, you know nowhere is quote unquote perfect what is perfect anyway but <laughs> i think trying is always appreciated as opposed to throwing your hands up and being like well everyone's unhappy anyway so why try right that's that's probably uh that's a situation where you're like the building is burning I don't know if I want to be here while, as, it, as it crumbles down. Yeah. How have you seen things like innovate and change to help customer success? I mean, you're, you're a big proponent of customer success for customer success, right? Yeah. yeah. Customer success is hugely important. It has a lot to do with quality assurance, quality control, but they do get a lot of things that they have to handle. Yeah, I think you said something really great earlier in the conversation, KJ, which is having or understanding um, exactly what, I guess, goodness, I've lost my train of thought, but you mentioned that having the ability to was it pause? My goodness. At any rate, um, you, you, if you remind me, I might remember. Yeah. You were, you were talking about goodness. You're saying customer success for customer success. Oh, you were talking about proactive versus reactive. That's it. There we go. And I think that that's something that, that is like, right. That's a perfect, that's a perfect juxtaposition to bring up when you're talking about customer success and, and quality assurance and being able to have, have the time to pause and think proactively versus reactively. And part of being able to do that is again, leaning into that pause. You're always going to have customers, right? We've probably always can empathize with being a disgruntled or a frustrated customer. Hey, I got a service from my bank and I'm annoyed because they charge me for this and they shouldn't have whatever it is, overdraft. I don't know. I don't know what the situation is. You're on an airline. That seems to be a, a low hanging fruit target. Um, <laughs> and your flight was delayed or canceled and you reach out to United or JetBlue and you complain. Poor guys. Um, yeah. Right. But 
for every effort that is reactive, think about how even the airlines, how are they being proactive in their customer service, their customer success? One thing I can think of is they're sending out surveys and probably a lot of times you're like, oh, I'm not answering this survey, like, or I'm answering the survey and I'm going to drag them through the mud. Sure. But that is an instance of a proactive customer success motion, right? And I bring this, the instance of the airlines up with due cause to say for every reaction, there's hopefully a proactive measure to supplement that. So I think in terms of customer success for customer success, thinking, okay, I'm having some reactionary outreaches of frustrated customers, disgruntled customers, whatever they may be. And I'm also for every like frustration, I do have some proactive measures where maybe there's a bright spot in feedback that I've received, or I really feel as though this customer is a strategic partner to me. And that's exactly what I'm trying to position myself as a strategic thinker and partner to a customer. So I think also holding on or or really like understanding that when it's bad, it's not permanent. So that same avail when it's good, it's not permanent, right? Back to that spectrum and, and, and the fluidity of good days, bad days, or days where you're happier than others. I think that perspective is something to just, for anyone that's listening that that is a part of a customer success organization or aspiring to be or works tangentially or cross-functionally with customer success, anchoring back to what you said, we're all human, right? It, we're all humans talking to humans. So if you've ever had a uh, not so great day or felt a little off, chances are someone else has also felt like that. It's be all interrelated and interconnected, yeah, right? exactly. The guy that exactly. cut you off on the way to work, got, you know, he got pissed off at something. Now he's made you mad. Right. You went to get your coffee. You're rude to the barista. Now the barista's got to handle the next person. So oh. she like gets the order wrong. Now this guys i mean it is a chain reaction exactly exactly i love that journey you just took us on there kj (laughs) well isn't it is it so real it's It's so real it's so real yeah yeah someone told me one time this is a dual terminal dual person dual universe right Mm. terminal battery gotta have plus and minus for it to work right yeah yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. conversation can have a conversation unless you have someone else (laughs) right Yeah. yeah You can't ride a bike without having two wheels. <laughs> it's like even those skateboards, like the uniskateboards, right? They have a platform for right and left leg. We fail to realize that sometimes, you know, in this particular balance, there's always another person at the end. But you mentioned something conceptually that this is not a like work-life balance, quality of life, like customer success. It's not a static proposition. It's very dynamic. It fluctuates. Mm-hmm. And it is how you work with that to make it work for you or make it work for the customer success organizations or the companies that deal in customer success. You just, it is a constantly created thing. Is that right? Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there that no, I mean, the human condition every day is, every day may feel the same or maybe drastically different, but time is passing and we are doing our best to navigate the the current circumstances. KJ, I think that there is something to be said again about having the resources to take care of yourself, right? Because even as a customer success manager, talking to a customer, I can only do so much, right? Like short of going in and 
and actually executing on the work that needs to be done with whatever platform or software or whatever tools being has customer success to support it. You can only do so much by providing and suggesting resources. So in a very, in a very meta sense, if you, if you will come along this journey with me, you have, well, what resources is every company going to provide their team members with to enable their success? So I think about, for example, what I'll, I'll speak to my experience at Airtable. They provide us a, a like a mental health platform, well-being platforms called Modern Health. There are other ones I think called like Ginger or Lyra. So there are a few of these services out there. And within our employee benefits, Airtable offers Modern Health and it is a platform where there are certain like curriculums, kind of like a calm or meditation app where you can go through and have like a mini lesson, if you will, or mini workshop around something supporting mental well-being. And it also provides an aggregate of mental health professionals for you to have access to. So there's professional coaching and then there's therapy that are all accessible through Modern Health. Now, I promise you, Modern Health nor Airtable are, are paying me to say this. I am giving an example of a resource that is supporting the success of customer success managers. And you see how it's kind of meta there. Me, a customer success manager, may give a, a resource to a customer and say, hey, here is a how-to guide of how to do exactly what you're looking to accomplish, right? I'm so, And this is charting towards your success and your goals as a customer. To the same avail, I am able to maybe think that clearly or provide that level of support because I, as a customer success manager, am being provided resources by my employer that's saying, hey, we know that you know customer success, engineer, operations, finance, you name it, everyone needs support. Here are the resources. And then from there, it's like what you make of it, right? So myself, as someone that wants to treat my my mind as a muscle, right? Um, if I get up and ride the Peloton every day for my body, then I want to do something for my mind as well to make sure that I'm exercising that muscle. And that's real. I'm sure that this is not the first 10th or last time that you'll hear that, but your mind is a muscle that needs to be exercised. And I think that the offering or the resource of having professional coaching or having access to therapy, it's nothing to be embarrassed of or ashamed of in attending, but I, I sign up for both, by the way. So, you know, cats out of the bag, something that I am a, I'm a huge supporter of and encourage it because that's me being proactive, right? That's me putting on my customer success hat and saying, I'm going to proactively exercise the muscle that it, and tend to my mental health, because if not, then what I'm react, I'm reacting and, and who knows what the reactionary result or measure would be. Well said. Yeah. Who knows what the result right. or reaction would be? And I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you, yeah. what does Airtable do? Tell me how this has helped you. Tell me some of the significant wins you've had as a customer success manager and even your customer success team. Yeah. I think in terms of wins, I think it's like, like I had mentioned, just providing proactive, showing up to the gym every day kind of thing, you know, drawing back to that muscle analogy and having it enable 
perspective, having a platform to talk things through, right? You can you can say like, oh, what's therapy or what's coaching, but talking and, and listening and asking questions. It's like, exactly, that's exactly what it is. But the more you exercise that muscle to think and pause and not always react, but pause and think, okay, is this my emotions? Is this my, you know, my wise mind? Like, what is this feeling? And it's okay to feel and, and have reactions. Like that is, well, you know, alas, we're, we're all human, the human condition, we react to things. But I think like having a space to talk about that, not only with mental health professionals, but with your peers is extremely helpful, especially when you're not always in the same physical space, right? Customer success managers oftentimes are ICs, right? We're individual contributors. We have a team, which is great, but we're not always meeting with that team every single day. And especially if you're like I am right now, sitting in my home office, you're not necessarily going to have someone to bounce ideas off of. So the pure act of talking about situations is extremely helpful. And I don't think I'm the only one that thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Emily, you're not the only one. And this is what you mean by customer success for customer success. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Having, the, having the resources. And there are adages that I could quote and bring some supporting evidence to. For example, a happy employee or a healthy employee will produce the best and most work. And that's accurate, right? I mean, think think about Anytime that you were you were feeling good, you probably did some of your best or better work. Yeah, um, amazing. Yeah, work you put out so that is very true. How does um, Airtable measure the success of this customer success for customer success? <laughs> Gosh, we're like in this like uh, inception loop now. That's a great question. I mean, I don't think I know the answer offhand, but. I think the the success of a company probably like has some metrics to do with what like appeal retention. I think the the interesting part that Airtable plays specifically is the actual like veins of Airtable, like what it does. For those of you that don't know what Airtable does, it's a connected apps platform that solves a problem to fit your your workflow and your working conditions so the veins the the pure like veins and, and functionality of Airtable is actually to make your employees happier as like a high level goal right because i don't know about you but if i start to do something and someone says hamily like I don't know, I'm making this up, like fill, fill out your time card. I don't fill out time cards, but let's say I did. And I, I go I go to I go to open up my time card wherever I'm directed to, and I look at it and I am confused as heck. I'm like, what is this? I don't know how to do this. I'm probably going to either A, not do it at all, or B, put it off until the very last possible minute and then probably risk doing it wrong. So I say that because it's like the easier you can make or the, the clearer you can make a process for someone to execute on, the more likely they are to do it. Does that resonate with you? Like, yeah, so totally. I mean, from my point of view, from my employee's point of view, yeah, absolutely. Right. So I'm glad that we have, um, we can empathize there. And then, so furthering that, the whole, again, like, veins of Airtable is connecting applications to make life easier for your employees and the work that they're doing. So what do I mean by that? Well, maybe 
in your email, you're in your Slack or your MS Teams, you're in Excel, you're in insert other application here. And it's tiring. You're bouncing back and forth, back and forth, all just to fill out, let's say, your time card. Well, let's say that you had a connected application that connected your email to your Excel or email to your Google Doc or whatever it may be. So that's what I mean by like Airtable's veins are very much so like rooted in increasing productivity and like thus and and, and increasing transparency, which are kind of like, again, a one-two punch of what can make an employee's life easier. I don't have to chase things around. I don't have to search for information. It's all in one place. Therefore, I can be more productive because I'm not, I don't hit that speed bump up. I have no idea how to fill out this confusing time card. I'm not doing it kind of thing. So all that to say, since that is the, what I've just outlined is the veins or, or the, the existence of Airtable, it makes sense to me that they also approach the employee happiness or team member happiness from a similar vantage point, like it all connects kind of together. Does that make sense? I feel like I just, uh, I made a lot of sense in my, in my mind. You went, but I'm you, like, you went all the way around the world. <laughs> I, did, I did, I did. But yes, it does make sense. How did you get on this customer success path, right? And how did you become a big proponent of this customer success for customer success? Was it a pivotal moment in your career? Was something happened where you said, you know, that's it? Was it a gradual thing? Yeah. Great question. Hmm. How, who, I love them. Where did I come good from? Questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not lying there. Yeah. How did I get into customer success? I love technology, or I'll say like I'm fascinated by technology. It's intriguing, right? There's it's always making progress. There's always something new to learn. And I think that that is inspiring to me that there is no finite, like, okay. This is done. I guess the same could be said for humans, which is me kind of just maybe tricking myself into thinking, ah, I like that there is no uh, finite form of, of uh, software. But anyway, because of my affinity for being intrigued or my interest in technology, it excites me to share what I've found out about technology. And I think that's kind of initially what brought me to want to be in customer success or in client solutions or however it's framed at whatever company, because it is the opportunity to share your excitement and your enthusiasm around a technology, a software, a product, what have you, with someone else and help them accomplish their goals in doing so. That's badass. That's really good. Thank you. I like that. Yes. I appreciate that. What do you do outside of Airtable and being a technology you know, enthusiast? What's, yeah. What are your crazy passions? You know, I see guitars behind you. You have like a record player there. Got you got it. You got it. Great observations. Yes. So I am a songwriter, musician, performing artist. So if you want me to go through all the different definitions of those three terms, happy to, but uh, <laughs> the, the, the key is I play instruments, I write songs and I perform them. And it's a big part of, of my life. It's something that I'm very passionate about. And the, and bear with me, KJ, you can roll your eyes and everyone can see, don't forget you're on camera. Well, I actually use Airtable to manage my entire performing artist, songwriter, musicianship 
aspects of of all of uh, of the business aspects. So, yeah, if anyone is interested, feel free to reach out to me and ask me how I do that. But Airtable has enabled me to, honestly, again, I'm happier because I can save time because I have these. I've created this ecosystem of of applications that speak to each other and you know work with my email and, and other tools that I use to enable me to have some automation to my workflow related to music. That is awesome. That's yeah. so awesome. Yeah. You. You're a walking proponent, a walking enthusiast, and an artist as well. Hey, is that one of your albums like that went silver or platinum or whatever behind you? Oh, oh, I wish. Oh, that is <laughs> that is not an album that I personally have uh, have written or performed on, but what you're seeing behind me is a platinum record from the RIAA for Foster the People's freshman album which is called Torches. And uh, for those of you that are listening, if you know the song Pumped Up Kicks, that is a, a single that was off of the album Torches. And I got that by working on the college marketing department at Sony Music when I was in college. And our team helped to promote the album from a marketing perspective. Really cool stuff. We had these uh, shoelaces that said, Foster the People, Pumped Up Kicks. And we'd go around campus and, you know, advocate and evangelize the good word about foster the people and lo and behold it broke uh, a million record sales and that's why i have that uh platinum record right? that is that's fantastic what a cool story yeah. what other instruments do you play yeah my my primary instrument that i play and perform with is the guitar i was formally taught the alto saxophone when i was younger so i still have it sitting in my closet although i should probably get some new reeds i definitely am a tinkerer so have a a basic understanding of the piano or keyboard. I can fiddle around on the drums and a bass is something that I also don't shy away from. So, but primary instrument is guitar. It's what I usually play and perform with and it's what I, I write songs on. That's so awesome. And you know what? You're a sister from another mister. I was classically trained on the piano for 11 years growing up and was a flautist. Yeah. Don't do you, still, do you still play the, the the flute? I was going to say the flout, but I know it's wrong. The, the flout, flute. The flute. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, I uh, was also a dancer, it was a collegiate dancer, traveled all over the world dancing. Yeah, but then you go into your career. Yeah, yeah. And how did performing feel to you? I, I'm all always curious when you see other performers on stage, like what they're feeling when they're expressing themselves in their form of choice. Such a sweet question because it's so personal, isn't it? Well, you know, I was a collegiate dancer with 70 other girls, precision dancing. So this was really grueling, tough workouts. And, you know, everybody has to be exactly perfect, right? But it was probably the thrill of doing something together perfect as a team. I mean, when you're in front of 80,000 people, it's something that you just can't describe. Yeah. Um, and you're doing it with a team that you almost are exterior. You can, you know what the other girl's doing over here and down here and all the way down the line. It's, it's an experience that I don't think I've ever experienced since, but yeah. Just, what about you? Uh, just a, a follow up that there's so, what I'm hearing is like the, the synergy of like being in this group of 70 dancers that, that are all like knowing what each other's doing without having to like look over is that is that kind yeah. of yeah i mean that was 30 hours of practice every week to be able to perfect that right i mean then it just becomes second second nature but yeah it, and then it just became a cult following because then you <laughs> you stay with those girls in that team 
year after year after year just in relationships right so yeah yeah, yeah. that is special right and i'm when you're in it you don't always think to pause and appreciate the magic that is in that moment right Yes, it is the magic. What is it for you when you're performing? Yeah, I think what, what you just said is uh, it, it resonates with me and I can empathize with being on stage with your bandmates and just being like, we practiced this so many times and now we're bringing it to life in front of people. And it feels really good to just be in sync. For me personally, as a as a songwriter, I mean, I, I just got chills thinking about it, having other musicians that are willing to play the songs that i wrote and having them being brought to life i admittedly like sometimes i lose sight of that like oh i i wrote this song i did that <laughs> like, this was once just in my mind and now it's being brought to life by by a collective group like that is something that it feels really special because and I, I think that's almost, I, I would imagine that's what an entrepreneur may feel like as well, where it's like, this was once just an idea that I had. And now I'm employing all of these team members and bringing my vision to life. And it's it's really, I think people crave being a part of something bigger than themselves, it makes you feel like less alone, if you will. And I think that's that's something really special when you have the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than yourself and be like, I know what this one's doing. I know what this one's doing. It's really a great feeling. Yeah, it's so true. It is so special. Yeah. Do you make sure that you exercise that artistic muscle as part of your keep sane, keep your well-being intact? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that you asked that. So I know that people say like, oh, are you a morning person or a night owl? Like that's like a big this or that thing. I am 100% a morning person. That's something I identify with. And as a and performer that, too, I would imagine you would not be. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I mean, there are some, some caveats, but I will say that in the morning, the morning routine, it feels like it's like time for me to do whatever I need to do to set myself up for the day. So for example, this morning I woke up and I have a collaborator that's based out of the UK. So early morning for me, midday for, for them and had a bit of a, a co-write with a song and then followed by some physical exercise and then followed by professional coaching. So, and I've had a whole day all in the morning. So I, I, I say that because in the morning times are when I, I typically like to pick up an instrument. And honestly, it's very nice to have that. What is it like tact, tactile feeling mm -hmm. like I'm not on a computer. I'm not texting. I'm not typing on a keyboard. I'm not behind a screen. I'm just playing it's it feels so i don't know if the words like organic where like you are just feeling something and you can't not pay attention really because something is in in your hand and you're doing something with your hand and your brain is so it's yes. so true i agree with you on that yes. yeah yeah that's the movement movement is medicine right that's something that i'm sure you can empathize with as a collegiate level dancer you could say 30 hours a week to prepare for your performance but think about all the hours you put in prior to to get to the collegiate level i yeah. mean i can only imagine the the level of dedication it takes to be a collegiate athlete of any sorts well like i said it can be a cult following it's <laughs> oh my goodness that's funny emily how do people get a hold of you like with Airtable, with your music business um, yeah. find you on stage in new york like yeah thanks for asking 
I would say I am always active on LinkedIn. So you can look me up on LinkedIn. Emily Gabriel, G-A-B-R-I-E-L-E is how you spell my last name. Send me a message there. For those of you that are that are more into social media in maybe a, a different sense, I'm at EG Music NYC on Instagram and on TikTok and all, all the other platforms, EG Music NYC. That's also my domain is egmusicnyc.com. So yeah, it depends on wh- however you want to reach me. You can, just depends on the channel that you frequent the most. Awesome. Thanks, Emily. This has been so fun, so enlightening. You know, sometimes innovation is talking about keeping the human perspective in such a fast moving technology world. I know a lot of our listeners and my clients themselves have had this top of mind. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, I I appreciate the opportunity to chat and um, your your thoughtful questions and the great conversation, KJ. I I look forward to keeping in touch and and listening to the other disruptors that you uh, have a chat with. Awesome. And one more thing I'm curious, when are you playing next? When when is your next performance? Yeah, thanks for asking. Next big show is actually going to be at Rockwood Music Hall at Stage 2 in November. So Saturday, November 5th, Rockwood Music Hall, Stage 2. If you haven't been to Rockwood Music Hall, whether it's to see me or someone else, I highly recommend it. The sound there is incredible. So hopefully you'll see me there on uh, on November 5th. Awesome. Great. Thanks so much. You bet. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed with Emily and me, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.